It may have been on the same afternoon as the afternoon I attempted describing in our last episode. It was certainly in the same spot, with, I'm sure, many of the same curious onlookers and listeners. So, similarly, the hot, dry, windswept riverside setting, the bushes swirling with the desert breeze, the chalky green waters flowing by in silence. Likewise, the thousands of people from Jerusalem and all over, the mixture of commoners and curious religious leaders, elders of the people, all standing along the shoreline. And John. John, standing waist-deep in the waters, those wild eyes aflame as he speaks of the kingdom of heaven and the streams of people coming out to him to be baptized. John, looking into the eyes of each of the people, studying the intensity to be perceived of their commitment before, with one swift movement, he dunks each down in the water, raises them up, until, this is where the similarities will end, just so you know. Suddenly, John, looking along the line of people standing single file in the river, spots a particular man standing 10 or 12 people back. The expression on John's face changes entirely. The serious, fiery, voice-in-the-wilderness look of him melts away. Tears visibly beat up in his eyes. He is as if frozen in a lovely look of awe. The ten or twelve people standing between the Baptist and the man all stand aside. The unknown man slowly wades forward. The cousins finally meet there in the river. Both emotional, they take each other by the shoulders and gaze into each other's eyes. The other people in the river are not sure if they should wade away. They are discomfited by seeing John the Baptist so lower his customary reserve. So they only half hear the exchange taking place between the Baptist and the man. A strange little conversation that only makes sense after they see what they're about to see. John says, Why do you come to me? It's I who should be baptized by you. The man replies, Let us do what is demanded of us. This is precisely right, right now. Together they move away from the others, slowly stepping into deeper waters. The water is up over their waists now. John turns the man at a perpendicular to himself and then, with arms braced behind him, lowers him down and then raises him up. And it is already happening before they or the crowds notice. High in the pale blue sky, almost directly overhead at the 12 o'clock position, it is as if the heavens themselves are being torn open. A bright, overwhelming light shines through the opening, much brighter than the sun, and through this opening descends something 
dancing backward and forward, side to side. Swiftly, with its back and forth motion, it comes closer, closer, closer. A dove, or what looks like a dove. It wings its way downward over the countryside, over the crowds, over the river, and then disappears after landing upon the man. Then a voice. And seemingly out of that aperture in the sky, as it closes, you are my dearly beloved son. With you I am well pleased. What fascinates is, of course, the voice, the disappearing dove, the hole in the sky, the shock and fear of the crowds, the look on John's face as he watches all this happen. But perhaps even more interesting, given all that's occurred in the space of just a very few minutes, is that when John and the crowds look up, the man is already walking away in the direction of the wilderness. Where is he going? What has this meant? Actually, friends, I'll put this to you. When you think of this scene, what do you think is happening? I mean, beyond the mechanics of the moment, what do you think in the whole of the scheme of God's plan is actually actively happening? Well, in spending this week in meditating upon this passage, which is shared in different ways in all four of the Gospels, my mind and heart were taken to a passage from Galatians 3 into 4. So I want to read that to you in three different sections, just with a few comments. This is starting in Galatians 3.23. Before the coming of faith, we were all imprisoned under the power of the law, with our only hope of deliverance, the faith that was to be shown to us. Or, to change the metaphor, the law was like a strict governess in charge of us until we went to the school of Christ and learned to be justified by faith in Him. Once we had that faith, we were completely free from the governess's authority. And friends, I think Paul here is getting right at it. Because for more than 1,500 years, every single man, woman, and child, certainly in Israel, by extension, also everywhere else, was only able to approach the holiness God seeks through perfect execution of the law of Moses. So, a lie, a sacrifice, a lustful thought, a sacrifice— an unacceptable action upon a Sabbath, uh, a sacrifice. And by the way, those are just the negative prohibitions against active disobediences. Think about what we might even call the positive. All the little minute stringencies of, of dress, lifestyle, culinary preparations, interpersonal understandings, everything had law attached to it. I think we simply have no idea of the day-by-day -day intensities required for every man, woman, and child before that day. Because do you see what I'm getting at? I believe when Jesus submitted to the baptism of repentance, he was repenting 
on behalf of mankind and turning all of us toward that new way of life, the life that he brought. I believe when the heavens tore open, heaven itself became wide open, approachable, inviting through him. And I believe when the Holy Spirit descended, the Holy Spirit descended, ready to be the subject of that whole new baptism Jesus came to perform. I believe when the Son was proclaimed to be the Son, well, he started something. In fact, we're going to listen to Paul again. For now that you have faith in Christ, you are all sons of God. All of you who were baptized into Christ have put on the family likeness of Christ. Gone is the distinction between Jew and Greek, slave and free man, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are true descendants of Abraham. You are true heirs of his promise. Well, friends, I'll put it to you this way. Do you want to be an heir of all the promises of heaven? Do you want to be part of the direct family line of God in history? Do you want to belong? Do you want to attain to joyous unity with your fellow man? Do you want to live beyond arbitrary distinctions of class, nationalisms, social structures, etc.? Do you want your life to look like Jesus' life? Do you want to experience life as a child of God and nothing less? Well then, believe. Not in facts about Jesus, but in Jesus himself. Believe that every action, every word, every obedience of his is meant to inform your own active believing obedience. Believe that he is up to something in you using you for the purposes of showing others what's available. Believe in Jesus. After all, as he starts his ministry with this baptism by John, what is he coming to do? We'll go back to Galatians 4. But you must realize that so long as an heir is a child... Though he is destined to be master of everything, he is, in practice, no different from a servant. He has to obey a guardian or trustee until the time which his father has chosen for him to receive his inheritance. So it is with us. While we were children, we lived under the authority of basic moral principles. But when the proper time came, God sent his Son born of a human mother and born under the jurisdiction of the law that he might redeem those who were under the authority of the law and lead us into becoming, by adoption, true sons of God. It is because you really are his sons that God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts to cry, Father, dear Father, you, my brother, are not a servant any longer. You are a son. And if you are a son, then you are certainly an heir of God through Christ. My friends, the purpose of the coming of Jesus, 
the ministry which commences at the very moment of his baptism is as follows. That you and I would move from servitude to sonship. From ritualized obedience to abiding experience or experience of abiding. That you and I would be children of God, no longer lost, but home. That the law would have nothing to do with us and we nothing with it. That you and I would, like Jesus, both dramatically and in an everyday manner, enjoy the indwelling experience of the Spirit of God. That through that Spirit, and always alongside our ever-living elder brother Jesus, we would come into the inheritance of all that's ours. This was what was begun when the heavens tore open, when the dove descended, when the voice from heaven spoke for his sake, the crowd's sake, and for ours. And, and please pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. It has never stopped happening ever at any moment on any day since. Thanks to Jesus, heaven is open. And now the kingdom of heaven is open for business. Thanks for listening.